الله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله that is a praise belongs to Allah, we praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness, and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray, and whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that he has no partners and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave servant and his messenger. InshaAllah, let us begin with the brief review of the hadith which we took in the last lecture. The first hadith from the chapter entitled Dab Sifatu Salat al-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam This chapter is entitled The Description of the Prayer of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam And the first hadith of this chapter, hadith number 79 is the hadith which has been reported by Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu He said كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا كبر في الصلاة سكت همية أو همية قبل أن يقرأ مثلاً أبدا مثل الله صلى الله عليه وسلم used to make takbir he used to say الله أكبر Allah is the greatest in the salat then he used to remain silent for a brief pause a short period of time before reading يعني before reading Al-Fatiha or reciting Al-Fatiha فقلت يا رسول الله بأبي أنت وأمي أرأيت سكوتك بين التكبير والقراءة ما تقول he said after noticing that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to pause briefly after making takbir and before reciting al-Fatiha he said I ransom or I would ransom my father and my mother for you O Messenger of Allah in that pause or moment of silence between the saying of takbir Allahu Akbar and the recitation of Quran what is it that you are saying? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said أقول اللهم باعد بيني وبين خطاياي كما بعدت بين المشرق والمغرب The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told him that he in that time is reciting the supplication O oh Allah <coughs> make far the distance between me and my sins just as you have made far the distance between the east and the west. Allahumma matini min khatayaya aw min al-khatayaya according to some narration kama yunaqqa al-thawb al-abyadu min al-damas 
you know, Allah purify me from my sins just as you purify a white garment, or just as a white garment is purified from any unclean matter. Allahu marrafilni, or according to some narrations, Allahu marrafil khatayaya, or min al khataya, bilma'i, wa shawji, wa thalji, wa barbi. Oh Allah, wash from me the sins, or my sins, with water and snow and ice. The Shaykh mentioned six rules or rulings or points of importance that are derived from this hadith. The first of them is that it is mustahab uh, to open the salat with a dua, with a dua al-istiftah. It is mustahab to do so, that a person should begin the salat after takbir with dua of opening. Number two, that the place in which this dua should be pronounced is between the takbiratul ihram, that is the first takbir with which one opens the salat, after that takbir and before the recitation of al-fatiha in the first rakah of every salat. In the first rakah of every salat. This dua should be recited. And that means obligatory prayers or voluntary prayers. When one is praying alone or praying in jama'ah. Number three, that the person should recite this supplication in a low tone, not out loud but in a low tone to oneself, even in the salat that is recited out loud, even in the prayers in which we recite out loud, such as Maghrib, or Isha, or Fajr. Number four, that this supplication should not be a lengthy supplication, especially in the prayers that are performed in congregation, such as the five obligatory prayers. Whereas if anyone is praying alone in their home in the night, they may make any supplication lengthy or otherwise as they like. Number five, in this hadith is a clear indication of the eagerness of the companions of the Prophet وسلم, to follow the Prophet وسلم, in everything that he did, in his movements, as well as in moments of silence. And even when he was silent, they were curious to know what was he doing, what was he saying, so that they may follow him in everything that he does. And finally, the last point that he mentions, uh, that when a person is supplicating, they should ask, ask Allah for that which they are asking for, as much as possible, as much as possible, even if they use different words to say the same thing. Yeah, I and mean, they may express their request from Allah with different words that may mean the same thing as has been indicated in this supplication of the Prophet ﷺ. In this supplication, there are three statements or three requests that the Prophet ﷺ make and all of them is for the removal of sins 
born to make to, to make that one thing be far from them. And the meaning also of the substances that the Prophet ﷺ mentioned for washing away one's sins al-ma'i wal-thalji wal-bardi that is water and snow and ice even the meanings are all very very similar as the Shaykh said mutaqariba they are similar or close in meaning and the intended meaning of each of these words in these expressions in this hadith is one it means that one be cleansed from the heat of their sins by these cold substances. Yani the meaning is to remove one's sins. Then the Shaykh he mentions two benefits, uh, side points from this hadith. One of them is that there are a number of hadith, authentic hadith, in which has been reported that the Prophet used to use different supplications and any of these supplications, including the one which is mentioned in this hadith, any one of them uh, or each one of them is permissible to be used uh, according to yani, whatever you prefer and it is better, he says, that one should alternate and not always use the same supplication just as the Prophet on different occasions used to use different supplications and we should also alternate between those supplications and he says also that Imam Ahmed preferred the last of those supplications which he mentioned here and which the Shaykh mentioned in the Sharh Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika he said that this supplication was preferred by Imam Ahmed rahimahullah due to the fact that it contained uh, tanjid of Allah or the praise and glorification of Allah وتعظيمه in glorification of Allah or exaltation of Allah ورحبانيته and the declaration or affirmation of the uniqueness or the tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then he said that Umar رضي الله عنه used to recite this supplication this supplication here not the one from the hadith that we have taken but the supplication subhanakallahumma bihamdika he used to recite it out loud in an audible voice in order to teach the people that supplication. Now this is the summary of what we took in the previous lecture. Uh, now, the hadith that is with us tonight is a very comprehensive hadith. For that reason, inshallah, perhaps we will only take this one hadith tonight. Uh, and it is, you know, it contains a general description of the prayer of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, mentioning some of the specifics from the beginning until the end. Not every detail of the salat, but it mentions something from the beginning of the salat until the end of it. And these matters that are mentioned in this hadith contain some points are also a difference of opinion. And for that reason, inshallah, perhaps we will only cover this hadith tonight with the points that are derived from it and the differences of opinion concerning that which is mentioned in it. Hadith number 80 from Al-Imam Al-Maqdasi, Abdul Ghani Al-Maqdasi, Rahimahullah, in his book Umbut Al-Ahkam. Hadith number 80 is the hadith of Aisha, رضي الله عنها, قالت, كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يستفتح الصلاة بالتكبير. 
Aisha radiallahu anha, may Allah be pleased with her, she said that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to begin the prayer with takbir, yani with the saying of Allahu Akbar, that Allah is the greatest, Allah is greater than everything else, or anything else. Walqira'ati bi alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, and he used to begin his recitation, or his reciting from Qur'an, he used to begin by saying, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. Yani, they didn't hear him saying, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. But he used to begin with, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. وَكَانَ إِذَا رَكَعَ لَمْ يُشْخِصْ رَأْسَهُ وَلَمْ يُسَوِّبْهُ وَلَكِنْ بَيْنَ ذَلِكَ And whenever he used to bow for ruquah, to make ruku, he really kept his head up high, not that he bend it low, but between these two positions. Yani, he used to keep his head level, not high in bending ruku, not high, nor low, but even between these two extremes. وَكَانَ إِذَا رَفَعَ رَأْسَهُ مِنَ And whenever he used to raise his head up from ruku, from bowing, لم يسجد حتى يستوي قائما and whenever he used to raise it from ruku he would not go to the position of prostration until first standing up straight completely and when you rise from ruku you shouldn't come halfway up or almost all the way up and then quickly go to sajda but you should stand up completely straight and pause before going to sajda when he used to make his back straight وَكَانَ إِلَىٰ رَفَعَ And in some of the narration of hadith it's mentioned that when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to rise up from ruku and also when he used to rise up from sajda to the sitting position sometimes he would stand after rising from ruku or sit after rising from sajda so long until the companions radiallahu anhum ajma'in thought that he had forgotten thought that he had forgotten what position he was in he stood so long not like we find today when anyone rises up from Ruku immediately they are sajda without any delay or hesitation. But sometimes he used to stand so long until they were wondering, had he forgotten? The next position is sajda. That's how long he used to stand in that position. Then she, Aisha radiallahu anha said, وَكَانَ إِذَا رَفَعَ رَأْسُهُ مِنَ السَّجْدَ لَمْ يَسْجُدْ حَتَّى يَسْتَوِي قَائِمًا أو قَاعِدًا and when he used to raise his head up from sajda after making prostration and he used to rise up to the sitting position between two prostrations he wouldn't prostrate, make the next prostration until he was sitting up straight and between two prostrations the person from the prostration position should sit up completely straight and pause for a moment before making the next sajda and he should sit up with one back straight completely وَكَانَ يَقُولُ فِي كُلِّ رَكَعَتَيْنِ التَّحِيَّةِ And in every two rakah, after every two rakah, he used to say التَّحِيَّةِ The supplication of التَّحِيَّةِ التَّحِيَّةُ لِلَّهِ وَالصَّلَوَاتُ وَالطَّيِّبَاتِ وَكَانَ يَفْرُشُ وَيَفْرُشُ Perhaps the most correct pronunciation is يَفْرُشُ رِجْلَهُ الْيُسْرَى وَيَنْفِبُ رِجْلَهُ الْيُمْنَى And he used to place his left foot flat on the ground and raise up his right foot. 
This actually requires a demonstration just to be sure that we understand exactly what it's saying. It would be better if I was uh, standing on this table so you can see clearly. Let me just take a moment to show you what we mean here. that he used to make his left foot flat on the ground and he used to raise up his right foot like this, propped up uh, and this is called iftirash iftirash laying the left foot flat and sitting on it with the right foot propped up وَكَانَ يَنْهَا عَنْ أُقْبَةِ الشَّيْطَانِ which is what you are referring to وَيَنْهَا أن يفترش الرجل ذراعيه افتراش السبع وكان يختم الصلاة بالتسليم. The end of this hadith she mentioned three things that he used to prohibit the person in the salat when they are sitting from عقبة الشيطان. He used to forbid the people from sitting in a way that is called the devil's way of sitting on the heels. But the shaitan and some of the scholars derive, describe the sitting in different ways. Uh, there are at least three different descriptions that the scholars have mentioned concerning this. The most important thing is if we sit in the way that is called iftirash or tawarruq, the two ways that I showed you, this is the correct way to sit in the salat, and other ways are unacceptable. Uqbat al-Shaytan, perhaps it is, uh, as some of the scholars mentioned, he will discuss it in the explanation of the hadith, inshallah, we will demonstrate at that time. That this is prohibited, is, uh, in general we'll say that it's sitting on one's heels, or sitting uh, with the feet propped up, or sitting on one's heels with the feet, with the feet flat down on the upper part of the feet. And another way, they said, is to sit with the legs in front of you, with your feet up in front of you, sitting on your backside. I should demonstrate it now. Sajda. The way that one should prostrate in Sajda is that the forehead 
including the nose, should be touching the ground, two palms touching the ground flat, not mounted up, but flat on the ground, two knees on the ground, and the two feet on the ground, and it up like this, with the toes pointing forward. So he also prohibited from one placing their hand and forearms flat on the ground, the way animals uh, lay on the ground, and he used to close the salat with taslim. Yeah, and he used to finish the prayer by making taslim, saying, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. And there are various authentic hadith which describe the manners which are permissible of taslim. And one of them is to say, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah to the right side, and Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah to the left side, as is mentioned here uh, yeah, in the translation. And another way is to say Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to the right side and to the left side only saying Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. And there are others also that have been mentioned. In any case, uh, the Shaykh says concerning this hadith, the meaning, the general meaning of the hadith is here Aisha radiallahu anha has in this hadith, in this great hadith has described the salat of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi she said that he used to open the prayer with takbir al-ihram takbir al-ihram the takbir which prohibits a person from engaging in anything except those movements or things that are part of the salat takbir al-ihram means that when you make this takbir you are prohibited from doing anything outside of the salat uh, and that is by saying Allahu Akbar. Then he used to begin his recitation by reciting Fatiha al-Kitab, that is Surah al-Fatiha, that begins with Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. And when he used to make the bowing ruku' after standing when he went into Roku, he didn't use to raise his head up high, nor did he lower it very low, but he used to make it even and straight in between. And even and straight. And when he used to raise up from Roku, he used to make his he used to stand up straight, making his back straight before going to sajda or prostration. And whenever he raised his head up from sajda, he didn't make the next prostration until he sat up straight and his back was straight, sitting up straight, propped up. And he used to say after every two raka, and in the second raka, and in the fourth raka, and likewise in the second raka or in the third raka of the three raka prayer and maghrib, on these two uh, sittings he used to say at-tahiyyah, lillahi wa salawatu wa tayyibat, and so on as has been mentioned here in the translation. And if he used to sit uh, laying flat his left foot and sitting on that foot, and he used to sit, he used to lay his left foot flat and sit upon it, his backside upon his left foot, with the right foot propped up. And he used to prohibit the person who was praying from sitting the Jalus of Shaitan, the way Shaitan sits, as we already mentioned. And he says that is to put one's feet flat down on the ground 
and to sit on their heels. Yeah, I mean for the beast to be flat, not propped up, but flat. On the surface of the feet and sitting on the heels. That's one way. And uh, also he said that one may prop up their feet. Uh, no, this one is propping up the feet, but that means with the legs in front of you, with your legs in front of you, and sitting on your backside, with your backside completely on the ground. Sitting back with your feet up in front of you, as we demonstrated. Uh, and likewise, he said, he prohibited the person who was praying from stretching their arms out flat on the ground, their forearms, their palms and forearms together flat on the, on the ground, as some wild animals do. Also, uh, he used to, she mentioned in this hadith that he used to open the salat or begin the salat with glorification and exaltation of Allah, saying Allahu Akbar, and he used to close the salat by requesting as-salam, yani saying as-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah, requesting as-salam or making dua, supplication for salam for those who are present from amongst the angels, those people who are praying, and then also this supplication extends and includes all of the righteous servants of Allah, ibadillahi salihin, the first of them as well as the last of them. And he says, the Shaykh says that the one who is praying should keep the general meaning of this supplication in mind. The general meaning. That it is a very comprehensive meaning. Not only to the people who are on your right or your left praying with you, but also to the angels that are on your right and your left, and the righteous servants of Allah, wherever they may be in the earth, as well as those who came before us, and those who may come after us. This is the supplication for all of those who worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And some of the scholars mentioned that the meaning of as-salam is, is a request or a supplication that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect and preserve someone, that Allah would watch over and guard you, and that Allah would take care of you. And some of the scholars said that it means the meaning of salam, it means Allah alaykum bil and these words are similar meaning protection, preservation, guarding, watching, or taking care of someone. Here the Shaykh mentions a point concerning this hadith, but there is difference of opinion concerning this hadith. This hadith, unlike the majority of the hadith in Umdat al-Ahkam, was only reported by Al-Imam Muslim. As we said in the beginning of this course, the hadith of Umdut al-Ahkam, of the book that we are studying, are hadith which are, have been reported by al-Bukhari and Muslim. These are all hadith muttafaqun alayh. They are agreed upon, reported by both al-Bukhari and Muslim, but there are a few hadith, a few, which are only reported by one of them. And this is one of those hadith, it is not reported by al-Bukhari, and usually, you know, you know that we usually give the reference from Al-Bukhari at the end of the hadith, but tonight we'll mention the reference from Muslim due to the fact that Al-Imam Al-Bukhari didn't mention or didn't report or narrate this hadith. Uh, so, uh, 
Well, that's an issue that we will discuss insha'Allah at another time. Uh, it's not mentioned in this hadith. Perhaps some of the other hadith uh, may mention it. At that point we will discuss it in detail. But it's sufficient to say that when one uh, goes to the position of sajda from standing, there is difference of opinion amongst the scholars. Should the person first put their knees on the ground and then their palms, or the palms first and then the knees? And it is really a long uh, discussion and a very complex difference of opinion. And for now, let us suffice to say that Sheikh Abdul Aziz Ibn Daz, Rahimahullah, may Allah have mercy on him and forgive him, uh, in his book, Kayfiyah to Salat al which is a very small book we mentioned last week. Uh, in that book he said that both of these manners of prostrating are permissible, each one according to their ability. And this is a good saying. <laughs> Those who are able to uh, put their hands first, then it is fine. Perhaps some people may have difficulty in doing so and it is easier for them to first fall down on their knees before touching with their hands, it's also permissible to do so. Uh, as for the, I mean, uh, the evidences of the different opinions and the whole full discussion, let us save it for another time uh, when we will uh, mention some of the details of what the scholars said about this. There are some of the contemporary scholars uh, who hold the, I mean, both of those opinions. So let us uh, yeah, I mean, take it for another time when we can go exactly to those sources and look at exactly what they are saying and their proofs and their evidences and see why they differ. And perhaps you know, each one will take the opinion that they think is the most correct. Uh, here the Shaykh says that this hadith has only been reported by Al-Imam Muslim. And he also says that this hadith has an illah. An illah means it has a defect. And there is a point of question about this hadith's authenticity. And it is that uh, in the chain of narrators, there is a narrator. His name, Abi al-Jawza. And he is the reporter who reported this hadith from Aisha, radiallahu anha. But as the scholars of Hadith said that Abu al-Jawza didn't hear any Hadith from Aisha. Yeah, I mean, there is no report that he actually, there is no proof that he actually heard Hadith from Aisha radiallahu anha, which means that there is a break in the chain. Which means that he heard the Hadith from someone else who heard it from Aisha, but he didn't mention the person who heard it from. And he reported the hadith as though he heard it from Aisha, and in fact he didn't hear hadith from Aisha, which means the hadith is it's broken. It's a broken chain, and that hadith is normally considered to be weak, except that perhaps the hadith may be strengthened by other Hassanid or other Ismads that uh, were reported by other scholars. Then he says that Allah Muslim himself reported this hadith with another Ismad with another chain of narratives from Al-Imam Al-Awza'i. Al-Imam Al-Awza'i was one of the great scholars of Sikh and he also reported this hadith uh, 
مكاتبة لا سماعا that means العوزائي heard the hadith or he reported the hadith but his sheikh didn't narrate the hadith to him orally but he got the hadith from his sheikh in writing in writing يعني one of the manners of receiving hadith which is not as common is that a sheikh a narrator of hadith may write out some of the hadith which he got from his teachers he may write it out and send it to somebody in written form and then they will report that hadith from him Al-Imam Al-Awzai got this hadith from his shaykh in written form he didn't hear it directly from him in his presence in any case this is an acceptable manner of receiving hadith it is an acceptable manner of receiving hadith and for this reason insha'Allah Al-Imam Muslim reported the hadith even with the first Ismail which had a break in its chain by these two chains being looked at together we can see insha'Allah that the hadith is sahih the rulings that are derived from this hadith the shaykh mentions seven the ahkam of the hadith he mentions seven that Aisha radiallahu anha mentioned in this hadith for those things that she mentioned in this hadith are considered to be his regular practice these are considered to be the things that the Prophet regularly did not on one occasion but he normally did it and this is understood from the words in the hadith كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يعني كان it means he used to do it regularly not only one time so the shaykh says here that the first thing and there's different sort of things concerning this point but what is normally understood if we read in a hadith كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يفعل كذا وكذا that means that he used to do it regularly normally consistently so this is the first point that this these things that are mentioned in this hadith are considered to be acts or things that the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم did regularly and the second point from this hadith the shaykh says we understand the obligation wujub of saying takmiratul ihram and that takmiratul ihram prohibits a person from saying or doing anything which is in contradiction to the sayings or the actions of the salat that it is obligatory to make takbiratul ihram and once a person does that this prohibits you from saying or doing anything that is in contradiction to the sayings or the actions that are part of the salat and also he said that any other expression other than Allahu Akbar does not take the place of this takbir for entering the salat to say something else other than Allahu Akbar does not take the place of the saying of takbir and the specific use of this expression takbir it is a matter of ta'abbudiyah it is a matter of worship and matters of worship are tawqifiyah that means that they rest upon and stop with texts from the Quran and Sunnah in matters of worship we do not use our opinion or our feeling to decide that we will worship Allah in a certain way or another that we will say something or something different but matters of worship are tawqifiyah 
meaning that you do them according to proof from Quran and Sunnah. Otherwise, you stop. You don't go beyond that which came in the proofs of the Sharia. So he said, for this reason, we should only open the prayer with takbir, saying Allahu Akbar. The third thing, the third point that he mentions from this hadith, that it is wajib to recite Al-Fatiha. With no need to mention the Basmalah, the saying of Bismillah Rahman Rahim. But in other hadith, there are proofs that it is mustahab to say Bismillah Rahman Rahim, but in a low tone, not out loud. Yeah, I there is proof that the Prophet used to say Bismillah Rahman Rahim, but he didn't used to say it out loud. In any case, that which is wajib is to recite Al-Fatiha without necessarily reciting the Bismillah out loud. Number four, the obligation of performing a ruku' or bowing. And that the most preferable manner of ruku' for the one who is able is that their back should be straight, it should be even. With the back not being raised up nor down but exactly in between, in the middle, even. Number five, the obligation of raising up or rising up from a ruku, from the bowing position to the standing position, and also the obligation of an a'tidal, that is, standing up straight after ruku. It is obligatory that one must stand up straight after return from ruku. Not stand up halfway and then go to sajda, but you must stand all the way as the Prophet did. Number six, the obligation of as-sujood or sajda, and this is also an obligatory act in the prayer to make sajda, and that it is also obligatory to rise up from sajda, and that one should sit up straight in between the two prostrations, the sitting position between the two prostrations. And number seven, the obligation of at-tashahud, the saying of at-tahiyyatulullah, after every two rakah, yani in the second rakah and in the last rakah. In the second rakah and the last rakah. In the last rakah may be the third rakah or maybe the fourth rakah, depending on which prayer you are praying. Uh, and if the prayer was a two rakah prayer, then the person uh, must make tasleem after a tashahud. Otherwise, if it is the three or four rakah prayer, after tashahud, the person should stand up to begin the third rakah. Uh, hmm. I think I said seven points, but uh, actually there are more points. Point number eight, that it is uh, legislated in the Sharia for the person praying to make iftirash. That is, laying the left foot flat and popping up the right foot when they are sitting in other than tashahud al-akhir. And the first tashahud, you should sit in this manner. This is according to the opinion of the Hanbali Madhab. Uh, there is difference of opinion concerning the sitting, inshallah, we will discuss it. But anyway, the Shaykh says here that al-iftiraj should be done when you are sitting. Uh, other than in the last sitting, yani in the third rakah or in the fourth rakah, other than in the last sitting. 
as in the last sitting, the proper way for sitting is tawarruq, tawarruq, which is the other manner which we demonstrated, that is, uh, propping up the right foot and stretching the left foot flat on the ground underneath the shank of the right foot and sitting your backside on the floor, not on your left foot. Okay? Sitting your backside directly on the floor. Sliding your left foot underneath the right shank and sitting your backside directly on the floor. This is called tawarruq. Whereas the, the previous description is iftirash. Uh, the Shaykh says that this description has been mentioned in hadith and in iftirash and tawarruq. And he says here that this iftirash and tawarruq is specifically for the men to the exclusion of women based on that which has been reported in the Sunnah of Abu Dawood in not in the Sunnah of Abu Dawood in the Marasil of Abu Dawood another book of hadith that Imam Abu Dawood collected another book called Marasil it contains hadith that are mursal hadith that have incomplete chains of narration. Actually, the, the meaning of Mursal, it means that a person uh, like a Tabi'i, a student of Sahaba, narrates a hadith directly from the Prophet وسلم, without mentioning the, the Sahabi who they heard it from, or it can also be applicable to a Sahabi, a companion, who narrated a hadith from the Prophet وسلم, but they didn't hear the hadith directly from him, they heard it from another Sahabi. Who heard it from the Prophet The second one, the Sahabi, the Mursal of Sahabi, is accepted to be Sahih because it's unlikely, it's unlikely, and only really could it happen that a Sahabi narrates a hadith from anybody other than another Sahabi, and all of the Sahabi, their hadith are accepted. We don't reject any of them. So even if you heard it from another Sahabi and he doesn't mention who it was, we still accept it. But if a Tabi, a student of the Sahaba, narrates a hadith directly from the Prophet ﷺ, without mentioning who he heard it from, then that hadith is normally considered to be weak because there is the possibility that he heard it from a Sahabi, in which case it would be acceptable. And there is also the possibility that he heard it from another Tabi'i, in which case that Tabi'i may be an acceptable narrator or an unacceptable narrator. So these possibilities cause that hadith to be doubtful and therefore it's rejected. The mursal of Tabi'i is normally considered to be weak whereas the mursal of Sahabi is normally considered to be uh, authentic. Anyway, this is a technical discussion. Inshallah, we will discuss it in detail when we study Mustalah Hadith. The technical meanings of these uh, things concerning the science of Hadith. Uh, so, back to the statement of the Shaykh. He says that this is reported in the Marasil of Abu Dawood. And as I said, the Marasil are normally considered to be unauthentic because they are broken. They are, they are hadith that have broken chains. And in that book, the Marasil of Abu Dawood, it is reported that the Prophet wasallam passed by two women who were praying and he said to them, إِذَا سَجَدْتَنَا the meaning of this is that the Prophet passed by two women who were praying and he told them that when you perform sajda, then you should uh, hold your body, yani, some of the lahm, the meat, 
should be uh, close to the earth. Yani the woman should prostrate closely to the earth with her body touching the ground because the woman in this matter is not like the man. Yani there's a difference between the man and the woman. In any case, as we said, uh, the Marathi or the woman is considered to be weak. And according to those who are more specialists in the science of hadith, they said that there is no authentic hadith from the Prophet which makes a clear distinction in the sitting or in the prostration between men and women. There is no authentic hadith which makes a clear distinction between men and women in the sitting position or in prostration. And therefore, the sitting for the women is the same as the men. And this is based on the generality of the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that verily women are the other half of men and that means that what is for men is also for women unless there is a particular evidence in the Quran or Sunnah that excludes the women from the men or any particular manner. Otherwise, what is generally for the men is also generally for the women. Whatever the Prophet did of worship is for the men and women of his Ummah unless there is an authentic proof that he told the women to do something or to say something differently than he uh, legislated for the men. Uh, then the Shaykh also says that this hadith has been narrated by Al-Bayhaqi in the Sunnah Mawsulan and with a complete chain, but it's also not an authentic hadith. And Allah knows best. In any case, apparently this is the opinion of the Hanbali Madhab that there is a distinction in the sitting position between the men and the women. But the most correct opinion is that there is no distinction in the sitting between men and women. They sit alike as did the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And there is a hadith uh, reported um, by Imam al-Bukhari concerning one of the women of the Sahabiyat or Tabiyat, yani the, those from the generation of the Tabi'een. And she was known to be a scholar of fit, as Imam al-Bukhari says, and she used to pray uh, just as the men used to pray. And he used this as an indication that the prayer of the women is the same as the prayer of the men. So it was the opinion of Imam al-Bukhari that there is no difference unless there is a specific proof. Point number nine, the prohibition of imitating the shaitan in one's sitting. And that is uh, that a person sits on their heels with their feet flat on the ground. Or that they sit propping up their heels or propping up their feet and sitting between them with their backside on the ground. Or sitting on the heels with the feet propped up. Yani sitting on the heels with the feet propped up or laying flat or yani sitting with the back side on the ground. And then it says that these types of sittings are considered to be macro. Yani they are detestable but a person should sit in such a way except in the case that a person has no ability to sit in the proper way then you do according to what you have the ability to do. Point number 10, the prohibition of imitating wild beasts in the iftirash. Yani the way the wild beasts stretch out their hands on the ground flat that it is prohibited for a person to pray in this manner. <coughs> this is an indication of laziness or weakness that a person prays in this manner. But instead, one should put their palms flat on the ground with their arms raised up from the ground. 
Point number 11, the last point says it is obligatory to seal or to close the salat with taslim, the saying assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, and it is a supplication for those who are praying in the congregation, those who are present, as well as those who are absent, as well as the righteous from amongst the believers, it is a supplication that they be safe from every kind of harm or defect. And as some of the scholars said, that in the supplication, assalamu alaikum is a supplication that Allah protect and preserve, watch over and guard or care for or give attention to the believers. Concerning the points of difference of opinion, uh, the Shaykh says that it is correct, the correct opinion amongst the scholars of Al-Usul is that the actions of the Prophet indicate that that thing is obligatory or that it does not indicate that the thing is obligatory but it indicates that that thing is mustahab and anything that we find in the acts of worship that the Prophet did his actions indicate that that thing is mustahab it is commendable, it is praiseworthy, it is loved that a person should do so but it does not indicate that it is obligatory yeah, and generally the scholars of Usul said that the actions of the Prophet indicate that the thing is mustahab not that it is obligatory unless unless there is a specific evidence that shows that this action is really uh, an obligatory act not only mustahab then he says that these actions and sayings which have been described in this hadith they are obligatory because of the fact that there is other hadith which show that the actions of the Prophet وسلم, and the sayings in the salat that show that you must do those things and this is based on the saying of the Prophet Sallu kama ra'aytumuni usalli he said Sallu which is a command pray as you have seen me praying therefore based on that hadith some scholars said then whatever you do in the salat you must do because he ordered us pray as you have seen me praying therefore whatever you did in the salat he has ordered us, ordered us to do likewise based on this second hadith uh, the shaykh says that all of these actions and sayings of the Prophet and the salat are obligatory because we have been ordered to pray as we saw him praying and this hadith is agreed upon by Al-Bukhari and Muslim uh, this is generally the rule, the Shaykh says, that this is the general rule that all the actions and sayings of the Prophet Salat are obligatory, except that there are a few actions, there are a few acts in the Salat about which the scholars differ, because they, are, they appear to be conflicting evidences. And there are a few things in the Salat that there is difference of opinion about, because there is one evidence which seems to suggest that it's obligatory, and another evidence which seems to suggest that it's not obligatory. So due to these apparent conflicting evidences, the scholars also differed about some of the acts of the Salat. And from amongst them, the first one is the Tashahud al-Awwal. Yani the first Tashahud. When you sit in the second rakah for Tashahud, in the three or four rakah prayer, when you sit in the second rakah, that is called Tashahud al-Awwal. And also the sitting for that Tashahud. He says that there is difference of opinion concerning this matter. If we pray Maghrib or Isha or Zohar or Akhir, all of these contain two sittings for Tashahud. The first Tashahud in these prayers, some of the scholars said that it is wajib 
to sitting in. And others said, no, it's mustahab. For that first, tashahud to say it and to sit for it. Some said that it's wajib, some said that it's mustahab. The first group who said that it's wajib is Imam Ahmed, Imam Layth, Ishaq, Imam Rahawai, Imam Dawood, Abu Thawr, and Imam Shafi'i in one of the two reports from him. All of them said that it's wajib to sit in the to sit for the first tashahud and also to say it. And their evidence is those hadith which mention the tashahud without specifying whether it is in the first sitting or in the last sitting. And there are some hadith which are general, which order us to make tashahud, and it doesn't make any distinction between the first sitting in the second rakah or the last sitting in the third or fourth rakah. They said these hadith are our proof that it's obligatory to make tashahud even in the first sitting. From amongst those, and Omina has a hadith of They said that this hadith which we have mentioned here mentions tashahud and it doesn't say yani, that you have to say it in only in the last sitting, making an, an, a difference between the first sitting. They said this is a proof, and also another proof that they use is the hadith of Abdul Mas'ud, which was reported by Imam Nisa'i, and it's also reported by Imam Ahmed, and it is said that the narrators of this hadith are authentic or correct narrators, and it said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, إِذَا قَعَدْتُمْ فِي كُلِّ رَقْعَتِينِ فَقُولُوا التَّحِيَاتِ لِلَّهِ It's the end of the dua. If you if, or when you sit in every two rakah, فَقُولُوا Then you must say, التَّحِيَاتُ لِلَّهِ وَالصَّلَوَاتُ وَالطَّيِّبَاتُ To the end of the dua. And in this expression in the hadith, فَقُولُوا is a command. So they said this is the proof that in every two rakah, meaning in the first two rakah, second rakah, as well as in the third or last rakah, we have to say tashahud. Uh, um, the second group who held that it's mustahab and not wajib are the three imams, Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Malik, and Imam Shafi'i, in one of the, of the two reports from him. Those three, Rahimahumullah, may Allah have mercy on all of them, they say that it's not obligatory, but it's mustahab. What is the evidence that they use? How, how are they saying yeah, something different? The first evidence, they said that the Prophet وسلم, once prayed, and he forgot to sit for the first tashahud, and he uh, didn't go back and perform it. And he didn't go back to the sitting and make tashahud. He just continued the prayer. And in the end, of course, made sajdul sahwa. They said this is a proof that it's not obligatory. Yani that the Prophet وسلم, uh, didn't perform the first tashahud, nor did he return to it. And even though his companions followed him in that, they also did the same thing. They didn't sit for it. Uh, he didn't say anything concerning this matter, but it was only made up by making sajda sahwa in the end of the salat, making two frustrations. The first group of scholars who said that it's obligatory, they answered them, they replied to them, and they said that this going back to the sitting to make tashahud when one, when one forgets is only to be done if the person remembers before they stand up completely. Yani, they said perhaps the Prophet didn't remember until he was stood up completely, therefore it's not necessary to go back. But if you remember while you are rising up, before you stand up completely, then you should go back and make the tashahud, the first one, if you had forgotten it and then remembered before you stood up completely. 
so they said, their answer is that, uh, that it wasn't obligatory for him to return, uh, since he had already stood up. And also they used as a proof what has been reported in the Sunnah of Abu Dawood from Al-Mughayr ibn Shu'bah from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam إِذَا قَامَ أَحَدُكُمْ فِي رَكْعَتَيْنِ فَلَمْ يَفْتَتَمْ قَائِمًا فَالْيَجْلِسِ If any one of you uh, stands up when he is praying two rakah, stands up after the two rakah, and he didn't stand up completely, yani after having forgot to recite the shahud, if he didn't stand up completely, then he must sit back down. فَإِذَا اسْتَتَمَّ but if he had stood up completely, then he should not return to sitting position But instead of going back to recite the Shabbat, if he had stood up completely, then he must only make two sajdas yani The two prostrations of forgetfulness uh, This is yani, the first point of difference of opinion Those who said that it's mustahat and those who said that it is rajib In any case, uh, it is better that it should be done Even if we said that it's only mustahat The person should only have an excuse for abandoning the, the first tashahat if they forgot If they forgot And if they didn't stand up completely as recorded in the hadith And they remembered while they were standing, they should go back down and do it And if they stood up completely, then it's only necessary to make sajda sahwa the second point about which there is difference of opinion is the matter concerning the description, the, per, the preferable description for sitting. The first opinion are those from the Hanafi Madhab who said that the preferable position for sitting is al-iftirash. Al-iftirash. They are spreading the left foot, popping the right foot, and sitting on the left foot, sitting upon it. This is Iftiraj. The Hanafi scholars said this is the preferable position for every sitting throughout the prayer. And every time when you're sitting, this is the preferable position. The opposite opinion is the Maliki scholars who said that the preferable position for sitting in all sittings in the Salat is Tawarruq. Yani, popping the right foot and laying the, le- the, right, the left foot underneath the shank of the right foot and sitting on your backside. With your backside on the floor, not on your left foot. This tawarruq. The Maliki scholars, they said this is the proper position in every sitting in the salat. Yani, they are two opposite opinions. Okay? The third opinion of the Hanbali scholars who said that an iftirash should be done in the first tashahud. Iftirash, sitting on the left foot. Sitting the backside on the left foot. They said that this should be done in the first tashahud and in the last tashahud, uh, in the salat that is three or four rakah, the second tashahud, in that one we should make tawarruq. And they combine both opinions. That iftirash is in the second rakah and tawarruq is in the third or fourth rakah, yani the last rakah, the second tashahud. Yani, uh, except in the salat, which means only one tashahud, yani in the two rakah prayer, like fajr, in that prayer they say tawarruq. No time for questions. <laughs> Uh, 
when he makes that, that if the salat has only one shahid, one sitting, like in the two akar prayer, like subject, they said that, uh, that iftirash should be done even in the last rakah. And iftirash, if it is only one sitting, then you should perform the sitting of iftirash, sitting on your left foot. But if it is two sittings, then you make a distinction between the first sitting and the second sitting by doing iftirash in the second rakah and doing tawarruf in the third or fourth rakah if it is maghrib or isha. The opinion or the evidence of the first group, the Hanafi scholars, who said that iftirash is the preferable position in every sitting, their opinion is based on the hadith recorded by Imam Sa'id ibn Mansur in his sunnah on the authority of Wa'il ibn Hujr, he said, Sallaytu khalfa al-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam falamma qa'ada wa tashahada farasha qadamahu al-Misra ala al-Arab wa jalasa alayhim. Yani this hadith, Wa'il ibn Hujr radiallahu anhu said, that I prayed behind the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and when he sat and made tashahud, he laid his left foot on the ground and sat upon his left foot. Iftirash. The Hanafi scholar said, this is our proof that you are only supposed to do iftirash. Because he didn't make any distinction between first string or last string, two rakah, three rakah, or four rakah. And also, one of the Uthari Al-Imam Ahmed from Rifa'a, Ibn Raqi, and the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam called him Al-Arabi, إِذَا جَلَسْتَ فَجْلِسْ عَلَى رِجْلِكْ الْيُسْرَى يعني that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said to the desert, to the Bedouin man, when he came to him, he said that when you sit, then you must sit upon your left foot. Sit on your left foot. This is iftirash. So this is also an opinion for the Hanafi scholars. He didn't make any distinction between second rakah or third rakah or fourth rakah. He didn't make any distinction. And also that which has been reported uh, by Alim al-Tirmidhi who said that it was Sahih the hadith of Abi Humayd that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sat يعني, for the tashahud and he spread his left foot on the ground uh, and he pointed his right foot towards the Qibla. يعني, this is also a description of iftirash. So all of these are proofs for the first group, the Hanafi scholars who said that iftirash is the proper way to sit in the salat in every city. As for the second opinion, uh, the opinion of the Shafi'i scholars, well actually this is, uh, this is uh, an in-between opinion yani concerning the description of sitting between the two sajdis, yani between two prostrations. Uh, the Shafi'i scholars and Hanbali scholars both agree that between two prostrations the proper way to sit is iftirash. Yani when you make sajda and come up before going to the next prostration, they said the proper sitting is iftirash, yani popping the right foot, sitting the left foot, laying it down and sitting upon the foot itself. Uh, and they said that iftirash uh, it has been mentioned in general in these previous hadith that the Hanafi scholars used, they have been mentioned in general as, as a description of the sitting. Uh, whereas the tawarruq has been mentioned specifically for the last sitting, for the last sitting in the third or fourth rakah. So they said in other sittings, then iftirash is the proper sitting. They are in agreement, yani in general, except in the last sitting, they are in agreement with the Hanafi scholars. The Maliki scholars, the second opinion, the Maliki scholars, their evidence, they said that tawarruq 
or sitting on the ground, your backside on the ground with your left foot under your right shank, they said that this is the proper sitting for every sitting in the salat, and their opinion is that which has been is based on that which has been reported for Abdul Masood radiallahu anhu that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam كان يجلس في وسط الصلاة وفي آخرها متوركاً. That the Prophet sallallahu used to sit in the middle of the salat, يعني in the second rakah, as well as in the end of the rakah, in the third or fourth rakah, متوركاً. يعني من توركاً. توركاً means that he was sitting with his backside on the ground. This is uh, a proof for those Maliki scholars who said that this is the proper sitting in every sitting in the Salat, whether in the second rakah or the last rakah. And this has been reported by Imam Ahmad ibn Musnad. And Al Haythani said that the narrators of this hadith are correct, reliable, authentic narrators. The opinion of the Shafi scholars and Hanbali scholars, uh, their opinion, their, the third group, their opinion is based on the hadith which reports Al Iftirash. Uh, in the tashahud and the narratives of those who reported iftirash yani, for the first for the first sitting, those same narratives reported hadith that Imam Al Bukhari reported, and in the narration by Bukhari, those same narratives they uh, he reported from Abi Humayn Al Sa'idi radiallahu saying Sayyidah Jalasa fi al If anyone sat in the, if you sat, sit in the last rakah, qaddam uh, he qaddam rijlahu al yusra that he used to put forward his left leg wa nasrat al ukhra and he used to put up his other one the right foot wa qa'ada ala maq'adatihi and he was sitting yani, on his backside. So just take a moment, listen to Adan, and uh, perhaps uh, we can finish at least this particular point. Next week, inshallah, we'll finish another point of Iskira. That's not the Adan from here, huh? Inshallah, just a few moments to try to finish this particular point, and uh, Inshallah, in the next uh, next uh, lecture, we'll try to complete the last two points of ikhtilaf concerning this hadith and go on to the next hadith. Uh, the third opinion, the opinion of the Shafi'i scholars and the Hanbali scholars, is uh, they said that the hadith which had been reported concerning al iskirash in the, at the time of recitation of Tashahud, uh, which the previous scholars mentioned, and the Hanafi scholars mentioned as a proof that Iskiraj is the proper manner of sitting in the whole of the Salat, the same hadith with the same chain of narratives or the same reporters who reported Iskiraj in the Tashahud al-Awwal they have also reported tawarruq and tashahid al-akhir, the same narratives, which means that the first hadith which they mentioned, it must have been iftirash applicable to the first thing. 
because they also recorded Salahat in the last hearing, which if you combine the two together, then it becomes clear that in the first hadith we are only talking about the first hearing. And one of them is the hadith uh, which we just mentioned, the hadith uh, from Abu Hamid al-Sa'idi, Radiallahu <laughs> بين فخذه وساقه ويفرش قدمه اليمنى. النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم used to make his left foot or he used to place his left foot between the thigh and the shank of his right foot. يعني he used to put his left foot underneath the right foot and he used to lay or lift the right foot upon it. Put the right foot upon the left foot. This is an indication of what is referred to as Tawarruq and is more clearly reported in the hadith of the same narrative Abu Hamid uh, in the Sahih Abi Hatim. In that hadith is reported that the Prophet وسلم, said, Hatta ila kanat al sajda allati fiha taslim. Yani until he was in the sajda, that was in the same raqqa that he made taslim in, meaning it was in the last raqqa. In that sajda, that the taslim is in akhraja rijlahu al yusra wa jalata ala shaktihi al aysar mutawarrikan. Yani that he used to uh, stretch forth his left foot and he used to sit upon his right foot uh, or, or yani, on his right side mutawarrikan yani in the form of tawarrik. Here he says that this was yani, these are the evidences of the third group yani, the Shafi and Hanbali scholars but even between them, the third group, the Shafi and Hanbali, Hanbali scholars also have different opinions concerning the Salat. The Salat uh, that only contains one Tashahid. And in, in terms of the Salat that contains two Tashahid, the first and the last, they agree that Iftirash is in the first sitting and Tawarruq is in the last sitting. But if it is a Salat that there's only one sitting in Salat of Hajjah, for example, only two Akah, there's only one Tashahid in it, in that type of Salat they differed, the Shafi'i scholars said that Tawarruq uh, should be done. Yeah, I mean that the sitting in the Fajr prayer on the Turaqa prayer with only one Tashahid in it is Tawarruq. And this is based on the statement of Abi Hamid that one used to sit in the يعني, فَإِذَا جَلَسَ فِي رَكْعَةِ الْأَخِيرَةِ And there used to be Tawarruq if he sat in the last Raqqa and the last Raqqa in the Fajr prayer is the second Raqqa. So they said in the Turaqa prayer it's Tawarruq. He said that this is, you know, in general, for any hadith, it means, I mean, for any salat, any, any salat, whenever you're in the last rakah, whether it's a two rakah prayer or three rakah or four rakah prayer, then you should do tawarruq in the last rakah. And for the Hanbali scholars, they said that tawarruq is special for the last tashahid in the salat that has two tashahids, I mean, that has two sittings. They said that this tawarruq should only be performed in the salat where there are two sittings. In that case, in the first sitting, you do iftirash, 
sitting on the left foot and in the last sitting in the tawarruq sitting the backside on the floor and they said this is understood from the يعني, general wording of the hadith which indicates that Abu Hamid was mentioning the description of the sitting in the first tashahud and then the, that was the tashahud that one stands from after that he mentioned tawarruq meaning that in that hadith it's clear that he meant iftirash in the first sitting after which you stand and there's another tashahud after it and in the last tashahud you do tawarruq uh, and they said the basis for this is that there should be uh, a distinction between the two sittings in the salat that contains two sittings. There should be a distinction between the first sitting and the second sitting. In the first sitting, uh, the person does iskirash and in the last sitting, they do tawarruq. So that if you see a person in the salat in which there are two sittings, like Maghrib or Isha or Dhor or Asr, if you see them doing tawarruq, then you know they're in the last rakah. And if you see them doing iftirash, you know they're in the second rakah. There's a distinction between the two sittings. And they also said uh, that also the purpose of this, uh, or yani, one of the reasons for it, is that the person, when they're in the first city doing iftirash, then they are in a position to stand up because in the first sitting you have to stand up after it to perform the third uh, rakah. Whereas when the person is doing is in the last sitting, they do tawarruq, which means you are in a very relaxed position, not yani, being prepared to stand up because this sitting is for the last rakah after which there is no standing. Uh, this opinion has been yani, defended in detail by Imam Ibn Qayyim Rahimahullah in his book Zad al-Ma'ad and it has also been refuted by Imam al-Shawqani in his book Nabi al-Awta and Allah Muzdah which one is the correct opinion uh, and that's uh, where we will start for now there are two uh, points of difference of opinion that we will discuss insha'Allah in the next lecture along with the hadith that come after this subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika ashadu an la ilaha ila anta astaghfiruka wa atubu alayk Thank you.